Welcome to Blue Dot, a look at our place in space. I'm Dave Schloh. One of the most beautiful places in California and one of my favorite places to visit is the Mendocino Coast. So when I read an article about how the town of Fort Bragg is embracing the concept of the blue economy, using ocean resources in a more responsible and sustainable way, I became intrigued. In this program, we'll examine the concept of the blue economy and how it's being applied in this idyllic coastal town. Later on in the show, we'll be joined by the Harbor Master for Noyo Harbor in Fort Bragg. Anna Newman will talk to us about their efforts to go blue. And we'll visit with Michael Hicks from the Noyo Center for Marine Science to talk about their participation in making ocean education a prime mover of the blue economy. But first, our guests are freelance journalist Frank Hartzell and from the Mendocino Voice, Kate Fishman. Hartzell, a veteran reporter, wrote the article on using wave power for desalination that first brought the blue economy concept to my attention. Kate Fishman helped guide me through some of the topics we could discuss for this program and kindly offered to co-host with me. Frank Hartzell and Kate Fishman, welcome to Blue Dot. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you wrote an excellent article about how Fort Bragg, that community there on the Mendocino coast, is turning to the blue economy. Um, and I'd, I'd like you both to kind of chip in on this, but could you explain to our listeners briefly, what is the blue economy? Well, that would be some presumption on my part, but I guess I might as well. But it's a, a recently widely used term. Uh, we've all... Fishing was always somewhat of a blue economy, but it was an extractive process. And as I understand it, uh, it's more of a communal using the, the ocean and working to make the, you know, not take everything from the ocean, but doing things that, uh, you know, we use the ocean and don't leave it lesser for the uh, purpose. But realizing the incredible um, uh, contribution to our economy that the ocean has been that we wouldn't be alive on earth without it and these economies wouldn't be alive uh, the native americans followed the kelp highway here and it was their blue economy in a way so but now they're doing all sorts of these uh, types of things uh, uh, everything from you know tide pools uh, there and sea walls that they build out of an environmentally friendly concrete to figuring out ways to use the seaweed to solve some of our uh, carbon problems and such. But uh, Kate might have a different take on it. I don't think the blue economy has been defined 100% by anybody, but that's what I see it as. Yeah, I would just add to what you said, Frank, which I completely agree with. I think the blue economy in Fort Bragg specifically is is something that's really in process and and still being defined, but is really shaped by the kind of issues and processes such as, for example, kelp die-off that are happening within the ocean ecosystem here and affecting industries like the fisheries, where historically we maybe have had more extractive relationships with the ocean in various ways, um, not just in fishing economies, but in terms of transport and, and you know, just all, all of the industries that use this resource that is most of our planet. And I think the blue economy idea that that Fort Bragg is really pursuing um, with a lot of integrity, I would say, is trying to 
have a relationship to the ocean that also involves giving back and promoting sustainability. For example, the Noya Center for Marine Science, which is a nonprofit, has this wonderful little cafe in the harbor right now that is focused on ecologically friendly processes. And, you know, it's it's a small business, it's a coffee shop, but the idea is to draw on local products and maybe eventually be able to do aquaculture there with purple urchin. And it's it's just a great little microcosm, I think, of, of some of the ways that blue economy processes can work, where as doing research and, and doing more sustainability-focused work, evolves that can also support the economy of this place and generate jobs in a way that isn't hurting the ocean but is is appreciating and celebrating that resource yeah well the everywhere in california is hammered by drought and the mendocino coast is no exception and it's the kind of the classic example of you you've got water water everywhere right there the the ocean but not enough drops to drink. Can you tell us about how the drought's really being felt there on the Mendocino Coast, Frank? Well, the city of Fort Bragg uh, has recognized uh, the contribution climate change uh, is making to that. Uh, we have um, greater evaporation and uh, you know greater drought, greater saltwater penetration into the Noyo River. And it was always an issue uh, of Fort Bragg as being able to sustain its water supply. and waiting for that day when the awful shoe dropped. Well, they, a few years back, they developed that reservoir on Summers Lane, and they've been adding quite a few things, but, uh, you know, the drought has uh, is continued to, to be bad and uh, continued to be that they need to seek more and more solutions. So that's what's made them such an innovator, and they've been willing to put out the call. But uh, I talked to several sources that I had talked to over the years, and different uh the wave energy field was what i covered more than desalinization um but said well they were open to us and you know we'd called all the cities that might be interested and nobody returned our calls but fort bragg was like yep come show tell us let's see inquire i guess there were quite a few proposals that didn't even make the light of day but uh they're willing to listen to any of them because of the drought situation and in the past, desalinization was uh, given the thumbs down. You know, we had one particular member of the council that's been pushing it since the 90s, but uh, at one time it was frowned upon, and now they're trying several different approaches to it. Well, Frank, the, the article I read that you wrote, which got me very interested in this topic, uh, was basically about the, this plan to use the ocean uh, wave energy coupled you know with desalinization could you talk about how that works and what you what you've learned it's a particularly fascinating subject uh, when i covered wave energy and fort bragg defined wave energy for the country really back then uh, because we got so much interest in it so much readership so much uh, discussion of it that uh, FERC, the agency that regulates uh, wave energy was quarreling with another federal agency and they were able to settle their differences and uh, the wave energy process is really interesting. But at that time, it was conceived as very large scale. We were going to power the grid. Well, it's kind of dropped off of interviewing all the leaders in the field to being sort of this small scale thing uh, that would be a spectacular way to provide water to researchers at sea, for example, or uh, the new wind energy platforms or even oil platforms or whatever. They wouldn't need to use the uh, electricity uh, that they were that they're using now. It could all but be provided by 
these different new evolving wave energy devices. Um, and uh, there's the company that we're, uh, we're covering here that I wrote about in the article. They have one working in Chile right now. They have one in Florida that's coming online, I guess, in the next month or so. It was what I last I saw that was going to provide uh, landscaping and golf course water for a place in Florida and Fort Bragg studying it. And we now have uh, a pretty good chance, it looks like, of getting a Department of Water Resources grants to study these. And they're like little uh, groups of things that look like rafts and uh, you know, the wave uh, power uh, moves the uh, the piston and drives the uh, reverse osmosis process. And then uh, water is desalinated, uh, some, some of it, and most of it is put back in the ocean with a slightly hard, higher salt content. And that's one of the innovations is that if the salt content's too high, it becomes a real serious water polluter. And um, so, and then the rest of the water is piped ashore by the same wave energy motion. So pretty interesting stuff. There's a different company uh, that is also in the field. There's quite a few innovators in the field. They're almost all private companies. Uh, and they are trying to do it uh, for uh, Cape Verde, a country in Alaska, in uh, Africa. And um, yeah, or Cabo Verde, I think they call it now in uh, Africa, an African uh, country that is trying to get all their power and desalinization for their land and make this uh, one of the most livable places on earth if they could do that. It's a really an interesting uh, thing. We'd love to see that. But so that's what they're trying here is a little floating raft half a mile offshore. They give us some extra water. And uh, right now it's a pilot project and they'll see if they can uh, up the game and make it a, one of the solutions to Fort Bragg's water if it works. Wow. Well, Kate, what are some other examples of the blue economy concept that you've observed and reported on there along the Mendocino coast? I've really enjoyed personally being able to report on some of the science aspect of it in terms of studying marine mammals who are stranding and in terms of kelp restoration work. I think both of those kind of marine biology sides of things have been super compelling to me. So for example, because um, we have this sea star wasting disease that happened here in 2013 that was combined with El Nino years and, and the blob of really intense warm water off of here, that led to bull kelp die off in this ecosystem in extreme numbers. Um, not complete die off, but but somewhere around 96% in the space of five years, I believe. And the restoration efforts to respond to that have, A, been really crucial because, like I mentioned, it does impact fisheries, like, for example, the red urchin fishery, which, um, which has experienced collapse several years in a row. But really also, it's been tremendous to watch the community be so creative and responding, responding and have partnerships with the Ocean Protection Council and with Reef Check and be able to try all of these, these different solutions to kind of give jobs um, to people in the community who might be struggling because of, of this fallout from the ecosystem and also to try to solve the problem and restore kelp, which in terms of ecological time, this happened so, so quickly and trying to respond to it is a really monumental task. But as uh, something that 
Fort Bragg has tried is this urchin culling program that wrapped up over the summer where commercial urchin divers who are extremely specialized and really kind of proficient in um, you know, getting urchin off the bottom of the seafloor as quickly as possible, we're able to do that with purple urchin, which are in a commercially viable product because they are are very starved for kelp basically, but are kind of preying on kelp the second it's able to come back. They were able to pull a bunch of these purple urchin from different sites along the seafloor and essentially run tests with reef check of whether kelp was able to come back in higher numbers in areas where that had happened. And there was some success in that effort. They're also working on uh, reseeding kelp using um, this kind of green gravel and seeing if that helps the kelp come back and, and come back in stronger numbers, as well as uh, Grant Downey, who's a commercial urchin fisherman here, is developing a kind of crab trap style trap for urchin to try to get a bunch of them to, to come onto this like big bowl of a trap and then be able to just pull that up and remove them even more quickly that way. Those are just a few examples of, of things going on here. But um, yeah, it's just remarkably difficult, but also creative and, and very intrepid of this community and all of these different organizations who are trying to respond to this kind of massive ecological issue. What What is it about Fort Bragg and the people there, the environment that lends itself to these kinds of efforts? About how, why Fort Bragg, Frank, for the blue economy? Why is, it, why is this happening there? Well, I mean, it's uh, we're a town that is has a very high uh, poverty uh, factor. Uh, when the mill closed, uh, the prime employer left town. Uh, the you know the timber was mostly cut around here and is mostly gone. And timber harvesting uh, wiped out uh, much of the salmon in it, uh, providing debris into the streams. So the salmon industry was once much bigger. The timber industry was much bigger. And people want to live here. It's an extremely desirable place to live. Uh, it's a beautiful ocean. It's like a summer day, sunny day today. But what do we do? You know, and so we're driven to that. And we have the history of the uh, fishing and logging peoples that came here, the Finns, uh, the Portuguese, the Italians were the settlers. And then people from Mexico came. So we have four you know, real strong ethnic groups that uh, are interested in work and in developing of things. And we have you know, a harbor, a small harbor, uh, that is an economic engine. Uh, you know, in many other places, it's been uh, developed. You know, the, the 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 mill site, the former mill site, is one of the largest undeveloped oceanfront uh, sites. That's especially one that is zoned for uh, industrial activity, and people have dreamed of many industrial activities, bringing back a uh, you know a sustainable type lumber mill, other things over the years, but. Uh, you know, it's still private property for the most part also, although this, they did a good job of acquiring it so we can all walk out there, beautiful benches and what have you. But uh, so Fort Bragg culturally and historically has been a hard work kind of town and it's uh, right on the ocean in a beautiful, beautiful spot. Um, so I guess all of that contributes to why people want to keep it going. And, you know, the, we have the Noyo Center now that's brought a lot of scientific research and researchers in and uh, you know we have so many resources here uh, and you know the kelp forests die off is one of the 
great untold stories, uh, untold outside of this area anyway. Uh, and it's more severe here. It's less in other places. And what happened? And, you know, the kelp is the lifeblood of the ocean. So this is a great place for people to come and study and, uh, uh, and see what could be done. You know, should the, the abalone economy here was terrific for many, many years. And because of the kelp die off, that, that's gone. You know, the, the, the kelp forest has been demonstrated to be on decline for many years. Some people say, should even bring sea otters back that were eradicated by the the global fur trade before the turn of the you know before 1900 mostly, um, and perhaps it'd be a more healthy ecosystem that way. And so tremendous amount of questions, tremendous amount of potential. You know we have uh, these beautiful natural resources, uh, salmon, giant redwood trees. Uh, you know, abalone and also you know just it's just just amazing place and why wouldn't we want to make it grow and live off of what it is rather than we've seen the horrors of the extractive economy those you know the last years of the mill they were selling exporting the logs that were run around here instead of milling them at their own mill and so there's a desire for local control you find a lot less chain stores here and and there's a very strong feeling here that we want to be a local community like communities used to be. Yeah. Uh, Kate, anything briefly you want to add to that? Yeah. I mean, I would just echo that completely. I think there's, because it is a small community and a community with, with such strong roots in labor and, and the fishing industry and the timber industry, there's a real sense of just energy around these really big, difficult problems that that come from climate change and and a lot of the things that this community has had to reckon with, it's really exciting to see. And I think this was also something Frank mentioned in his article, but because Fort Bragg is a small community, these pilot projects that might be a lot more difficult to execute in other places can function here. It's a population of like seven, 8,000, and there's a lot more ability to experiment. And I think, uh, they are experimenting and it's awesome. As these initiatives go forward, what do you think this could mean for other coastal communities on the West Coast and perhaps beyond, Frank? Well, I think you know, the, the thing I've covered for so long, the, uh, the ocean energy, there's a big project in Humboldt that's going out there now that evolved out of these discussions. And these companies say that this wave energy idea uh, the Pacific would be a terrific place, you know, for San Francisco Bay, and and there's many other projects and many of these things that can go forward. But you know, aquaculture, if the, if the environmental problems could be solved, uh, it would reduce pressure on certain fishes uh, that, you know, the tuna and the things that are being hunted around the world to in an unsustainable way. So, uh, and these would be global tragedies, and we could help that with the ocean. Um, so there's a lot of this that's going to going to have a big effect. Uh, you know, the, the ocean is the past and the future, and a lot of this other stuff is never coming back, but the ocean will always be with us and always be our mother. Well, Kate Fishman uh, and Frank Hartzell from the Mendocino Voice, thanks so much for sharing the story of this, this burgeoning blue economy efforts on the North Coast there in Mendocino County, especially Fort Bragg. Thank you for having us. Thanks very much. 
Thanks to our guests, freelance journalist Frank Hartzell and Kate Fishman from the Mendocino Voice. Kate will be back with me in our next segment as we talk to Noyo Harbor Master Anna Newman. We're going to take a short break, but stay with us. I'm Dave Schloem, and you are listening to Blue Dot. And we're back, and thanks for listening to our episode on the blue economy. One of the most interesting and challenging jobs on the Mendocino Coast belongs to our next guest, Anna Newman. Anna is the harbor master for the bustling fishing port of Noyo Harbor, which is home to both commercial and recreational fishing boats, as well as a busy waterfront set of restaurants that caters to the many tourists who visit Fort Bragg in search of the ultimate seafood experience. She now joins Kate Fishman from the Mendocino Voice and I as we continue our look at the blue economy. Anna Newman, welcome to Blue Dot. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, well, the first thing I need to ask, because I have no idea, is what does a harbor master do? Oh, I'm a bit of jack of all trades, though perhaps a master of none. So harbors generally rent slips to boats, either long-term rentals, guys that have been here for 30 plus years or gals, and then uh, short-term rentals to folks that want to come in and fish the summer months, but don't necessarily want to commit full-time. So I manage all of those slip rentals and the comings and goings. And then we just work with the fleet on anything that they need. If there's damage or repairs that need to be done to their dock, I kind of help set the maintenance team up. Because we're an older harbor, I do a lot of grant research and grant writing to try to update our infrastructure and make sure that we're going to survive for the next 72 years, which is actually how many years we've been around. And then uh, tell us about Noyo Harbor, because not everybody is going to be familiar with it. Uh, anybody that's gone to Fort Bragg and, and gone down there to probably eat fish and chips or, or dine in the harbor is, you know, fantastic. But tell us about why Noyo Harbor is such a unique place. It's, it's actually a river running into the sea. Uh, tell us about, you know, what kind of boats are berthed there and what kind of businesses are there. Well, tell us, give us a little overview of Noyo Harbor for somebody that's not familiar with it. Yeah, so Noyo is a particularly cool harbor for me um, and a unique one for California because we're such a working and fishing dominated harbor. A lot of other harbors that you go to will be really based in recreation with either sailboats or recreational fishing, but our harbor particularly has a lot of working vessels in it. So one of the things that I think folks forget is that each vessel is associated with a family that's like directly living in our community and they're also their own individual small business. They catch the fish, they sell the fish to fish buyers. So it's kind of, you know, like having 70 little micro businesses in one area really creates a unique environment and folks are down here working on their boats consistently. You know, it's their source of income. It's what their families rely on. And then the larger harbor in general is really built based off of that fact that there are working boats here. So we've got fish buyers and processors. We have ice houses and things that the fishermen need to continue to go to sea and catch and deliver 
you know, sustainable, reliable seafood. Yes, and you also, uh, it also appeals to tourists because there's lots of cool places to eat there. Yeah, the romanticism of fishing is something that I think is unique to this area. People love to see fish being offloaded, and it's especially cool to be eating your fish taco and watching a boat that more than likely caught your fish bring it to sea and to shore and fishermen are always unique and interesting folks and it's an interesting play on that kind of bringing that tourism and the romanticism of going to sea and fishing to a very real life kind of down home experience. Yeah Anna in terms of bringing the community and bringing people who are traveling into the harbor I know something that you've been really enthusiastic about is educating people about buying fish directly from boats directly from fishermen and personally, as, as someone living here, I have loved to try uni down in Noyo Harbor right off the boat and was able to get this amazing salmon filet. So why is that important to you to kind of bring the people to the fish, so to speak? I think it takes us a little bit back to the Fort Bragg's like original history and that community. When I talk to folks around town, they always had memories as kids coming down to the harbor and buying their salmon or buying their rockfish. And they really enjoyed and loved that aspect. And it also creates that direct tie. So when a fisherman sells to the end user, they can often sell at a higher rate. So they get more money into their pockets. And then the user knows or the consumer knows that their fish was caught locally by that local family it's not really going through those large chains of like, where was this fish caught? When was it caught? How long has it been sitting in an ice chest or a freezer? It's that direct tie to sustainability. So you're getting fresher food. You're supporting the local family. It's all those things that we like to support in small communities. And I feel like it's teaching our kids and the younger generation to get back to their original roots. Fort Bragg has always bought fish off of the docks. We just seem to have forgotten it in the past couple of years. So I want to bring that back in and that community back together. I love that. And I think also kind of connected to that is the fact that some of these fisheries are really struggling right now. For example, the red urchin fishery has had some serious decline um, with kelp die-off and now again due to whale entanglement risk the crab fishery is being continuously delayed this year um what does that look like in your role to kind of contend with these struggling fisheries and what do those conversations look like with fishermen oh it's kind of everywhere and nowhere at the same time. I can't really do anything in this role to open crab any earlier or to help the kelp come back. But what I can do is be understanding and supportive that, you know, this is what the fleet is experiencing. And that's just gonna help me kind of like better provide for them. If you know how someone is struggling, you know when to not kick them if they're down. Um, which is probably a bad analogy, but overall, the Harbor District really wants to be that base and that foundation and the support level for them. And it just is helpful to know, you know, where their struggles are coming from. Mm -hmm. We're doing this show over the umbrella of the show. The overarching theme is the idea of, the, of a blue economy. 
and using the ocean in sustainable, responsible ways that, you know, help to grow an economy and keep keep families, you know, in businesses. Could you, you know, just talk a bit about how Noyo Harbor fits into that context? And you talked about upgrading, you know, the infrastructure of the harbor. How, tell us about that, uh, the harbor in those terms. For the harbor and the blue economy, we really want to be the solid foundation that everything can be built off of. So when we're thinking about new infrastructure, new fisheries, or like adapting the way that the fleet is commercially fishing or utilizing those fisheries, the harbor wants to ensure that we can be that rock foundation for them and that our infrastructure is going to be able to support their new needs. So if they want to develop, um, you know, an aquaculture system, there are these cool barges that you can get that help grow small oysters or mussels, or you could even do kelp and abalone in them. We want to ensure that if someone buys, you know, a $10,000 piece of equipment and they secure it to our docks, that our brackets are in good shape, the boards aren't rotten, that the pilings are safe and secure so their investment isn't sitting on dilapidated infrastructure. And looking forward, I'm really interested in installing fuel docks and new ice houses. So again, we're just really trying to be that strong, solid foundation that everyone else can build off of. And as you you know look into the future, what are the what what kind of keeps you up at night as far as things that are challenges and opportunities for the future? I think the biggest challenge is the adapting ecosystems or the changing ecosystems and how fisheries are going to adapt to that, and especially the small-scale fisheries, how they're going to adapt and change, and then the rising prices of everything. You know, we've talked a little bit about crab and kelp die-offs and whale entanglements and not kicking the fleet while they're down, but if all of the costs are rising around us and the fisheries are crumbling, it puts the Harbor District in a really hard situation. You don't want to raise rates or outprice yourself so the fishermen can no longer tie up there. But then you also have to make sure that you're able to have an income to fix the broken dock and to replace the electrical systems and all that. So that's kind of my biggest concern is how to ensure that we remain stable without putting all of those costs onto a fleet that's already struggling. It's a bit of a dichotomy there. But I do see, you know, a lot of things that are positives coming through. Um, the rockfish stocks have really been coming back. We're seeing a lot more small fishermen get into rockfish fishing. And especially if we can get folks buying direct from the fleet, that's going to increase prices that they can get versus going to a fish buyer. But that also has a downside. If everyone stops selling to a fish buyer, the fish buyer is also a small local business. He's going to now struggle or she. So there's some back and forth for sure. Well, on the flip side of that, what's the most fun part of your job that you enjoy the most? I kind of like it when everything goes sideways because then you get to problem solve on the fly. Can you give us an example of something maybe that went kind of sideways that you had to fix? Um, we had a boat recently come in that hit the rocks at Point Cabrillo and had some pretty substantial 
holes in the bow and there was a big game of which pumps are going to be able to you know pump the water out fast enough and what trailers can we utilize to put the boat on so it doesn't sink and what's the hazmat situation on the boat and you know the owner was unfortunately in the hospital so it was hard to communicate with him and I like it when things move fast and you get to problem solve in a unique way. Speaking of that Anna I that just brought up a memory for me of when over the summer a a sperm whale carcass kind of washed up and and was floating in the water along Mendocino and I know the Noyo Center responded heavily to that, as well as Telstar Charters, which is a boat that docks in the harbor, and that you yourself were part of responding to that. And I just think that's something so interesting about a small community that that works so much with the ocean, that all of these kind of disparate groups and people will pull together in situations like that. Can you just speak a little bit to that experience? Yeah, so that's kind of one of the things that I really loved, you know, it's a Saturday and all of a sudden I'm getting a call that there's a sperm whale and I got to go out on the boat with the Noyo Center for Marine Science with some fishing gear that um, Noyo Fish Company had donated so we could pull the whale out of the cove, or I guess the lifeguards, Mendocino Coast lifeguards pulled the whale out of the cove, and then we took the whale after that. And, you know, it's like 2.30 on a Saturday and I'm rigging an anchor for a sperm whale carcass. Like, I didn't think I'd ever say that sentence in my entire life, but it's cool <laughs> and awesome. And it's like, that's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing and wild. And then we go back up to the, um, the Noyo Center and we're kind of off the boat and we're having tacos and we're kind of talking about how cool of an experience it is. And we get a call that the buoys I'd rigged were floating into shore and I was all beside myself because I was upset that my knots might not have held and how could I have messed this up kind of you know knots are the one thing I feel like I know pretty well but then we get down to the beach and the sharks that had been feeding on the whale carcass had bitten my buoy lines off so it wasn't my shark. something else that I never thought I would ever say you know (laughs) Well, that's amazing. Well, it's sad, very sad, you know, when a whale is stranded like that and dies. But that's an amazing story, Anna. Um, well, last question for you. What are some of the misconceptions that people have about commercial fishing in a place like Fort Bragg and Noyo Harbor? You know, because when you go down and you get your fish taco and you, you enjoy it and they are amazing and wonderful when you eat them there. Um, a lot of people don't really understand what all goes into that and how hard it is. Could you just comment on that? I think the largest misconception that I read, and it might not be so much in this community because we have such a strong commercial fishing and logging base, that kind of natural resource consumption base, is that fishermen live a slow, mellow, unstressed lifestyle. And that I find is just the opposite. No one walks faster than a fisherman who you know, has a flat day coming you really get limited opportunities to go to see and make money so anything that delays or comes in the way of that opportunity is a missed opportunity to make money and that's something that you can't get back it's not like oh I couldn't go Monday so I'm gonna go Tuesday well the weather might have picked up on Tuesday now it's windy so it's really critical for these guys to be able to fish and gals when the opportunity arises because it doesn't come around again. 
Yeah. Well, it's way different than when I go drift boat fishing for trout uh, with my fly rod. That's for dang sure. <laughs> yeah. And it was a pleasure to, pleasure to talk to you and keep up the great work there at Noyo Harbor. So awesome to, to hear from you, Anna. You have so much knowledge and it's, it's great to talk with you. Thanks. And let me know if you guys ever have any questions. I'm always open to chat. Let's take a short break, but stay with us. When we come back, we'll continue our look at the blue economy as it's being applied in the small town of Fort Bragg in California on the ruggedly beautiful Mendocino Coast. Stay with us. And we're back to our special episode on the blue economy. Joining me is Kate Fishman from the Mendocino Voice. And our next guest is Michael Hicks, Development Director for the Noyo Center for Marine Science, a nonprofit educational institution that's looking to expand its role in educating the public in how vital the ocean is for all of us, but especially for members of the community that live right next to it. Michael Hicks, welcome to Blue Dot. Oh, well, thank you, Dave. I'm excited to uh, talk with you and about the blue economy here in Fort Bragg. Well, before we get to that, tell us about how you got there. How did you get to Fort Bragg and get to work for the Noyo Center for Marine Science? Yeah, it was not a direct path. I um born and raised in Montana, but had spent the last about 13 years in Reno, Nevada, and was the development director for the Reno Phil at the symphony there in town. Um, loved that job, loved the arts, but always had a real passion for the environment. And once we moved to Reno, we spent most of our time off coming over to the California coast uh, from Fort Bragg to Bodega Bay to Monterey and thought if we ever had a chance to even live near and work near the ocean, we couldn't pass that up. So when this opportunity arose and the work that I saw they were doing, I just, just decided to take a jump for it. And I started here uh, February of this year. Cool. So it's like your dream job. It is. Yeah, it's it's great. I get to, um, you know, raise money to to help the environment, to work with marine mammals. And I also get to like drive by the ocean every day when I'm going to work. So I can't really think of a better job. <laughs> Not too shabby. Well, for folks who may be visiting Fort Bragg in the future for the first time, um, tell us about the Noyo Center for Marine Science. What can what can you see and do there? And what tell us just a bit about it. Yeah, so um, Noyo Center, we uh, started in 2015, and for folks local and visiting, we now have three uh, public facilities. Um, all of them are open Thursday through Monday, um, so we have two interpretive facilities. We have our Discovery Center, which is in downtown Fort Bragg. It's kind of our main space. We have an articulated uh, killer whale skeleton, large orca, 26 feet that greets you when you walk in. It is a showstopper. And one of my favorite things to do is when I'm in there just to watch the looks on people's faces and especially kids when they first come in. So the Discovery Museum has that. It has what we call a 360 degree ocean immersion dome where uh, they, go, they go in there. We have a touchless keypad and they can pick different videos that some are locally filmed, some are from around the globe that really make people feel like they're underwater or immersed in that ocean environment. We have other marine mammal exhibits there and a gift shop. 
And then we have um, our crow's nest, which is a really small little A-frame building, which is out on the Noyo Headlands, right along the coastal trail. And we have docents that uh, staff that when it's open. And we have a little touch pool aquarium in there, uh, a few marine mammal exhibits, and then this great deck that you can view out on the ocean. Great for whale watch, especially during the gray whale migration. And then most recently, we opened uh, what we call the Slack Tide Cafe uh, down in Noyo Harbor that just opened this fall. Um, we took over a restaurant that had been closed for about eight years, mainly got the building so we could get dock space. So we have access to the water now and want to really ramp up what we can do, getting on the water both for our education and our research. But there was a full kitchen intact and thought, hey, we could work on showing a sustainable model for a cafe and it's a great meeting space and for people just to gather and come down to that space, watch the marine mammals in the water. I never go down there and don't see a harbor seal or a sea lion and the river otters playing in the water. Wow, that's that's very cool. Yeah. And something I think is very cool about the Noya Center and that I've loved learning about and covering you guys is that the organization really evolved out of a desire from the community to have more marine research here and really build on that as part of Fort Bragg's identity. Uh, when the Georgia Pacific Mill site closed in 2002, this was one of the main priorities that was identified by the community was to have a marine science center here and have that capability. So the future dream for you guys, I know, is something called the Ocean Science Center. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, yeah, when the, the mill site closed down there, it opened up a lot of coastline that had before not been open to the public. And you're right, there's a lot of conversations with the community. And having that world class science center out there in the headlands was a top priority. Um, so the city of Fort Bragg eventually transferred over um, about 11.6 acres out there uh, to the Noyo Center once the nonprofit was established. And our goal is to put that out there and it would be, um, it's gonna have interpretive displays. I'll have our 73 foot blue whale skeleton, a large aquarium, more marine mammal exhibits, but also offer um, maker spaces, wet labs, um, a cafe, classrooms, and really to be a beacon out there on that, on that headlands, both as a, a tourist place, but also a place where we can have researchers come in, scientists, and also start to kind of foster STEM-based and, and green and blue jobs here in the local economy. So um, we're really excited about that. That's always kind of the big, the big goal at the end here. And you mentioned the blue whale skeleton. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. So as I understand, it's 73 feet long, um, I think washed up in 2009, and blue whales are the largest mammals on Earth. So it's really an, the biggest skeleton you could have. Um, so yeah, tell us a bit about sort of where where you're at in the process of of working to display that skeleton. And basically what I'm getting at here is that it takes a tremendous amount of space and work and time. So yeah, tell us about the blue whale. Yeah, so it's, I mean, this this really is, I guess, kind of the cliche story of it takes a village. But in 2009, a blue whale, deceased blue whale washed ashore um, in a little, little nook uh, just south of Fort Bragg. And over a whole week, 100 volunteers from around the community and region came together and worked and brought up over 70 tons of that whale up a 40-foot cliff, went and buried it in the forest about 20 miles out, let it decompose, um, let nature do its course to kind of bring it down to the bones. 
and we've now had those bones since that time. Um, they've moved from place to place. They've sometimes resided at the wastewater treatment facility plant where we've done public displays in the spring. Right now, most of them actually reside in the garage of one of our, our um, star volunteers and supporters, but we really wanna find a permanent home for that place where we can articulate it and put it together. There's fewer than 25 across the globe that have a full blue whale skeleton. So this would be the real centerpiece of that Ocean Science Center once it's articulated. Um, some of the early designs, conceptual designs I've seen of it, it is just a statement piece. And we still are able to use it now. We bring it out usually each March during Whale Festival. And we have field trips from local students come out. It's a good educational opportunity. And it really means a lot to this community. So that's kind of our main goal. In the meantime, we're looking at actually getting funded for something we're calling the Labonatory, um, which is gonna be a much more simpler building put out on the headlands, kind of the first piece where we can store that those whale bones and work on the articulation while we're working towards that Ocean Science Center goal. Wow, there's not too many people that can, you know, use the incentive of, I got to get a blue whale in here to clean out their garage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I know. Yeah, that, that's a good excuse. And, and, and Kate, one thing you were kind of alluding to there is we, so our orca skeleton that we have in the Discovery Center, that was done as a community project as well early on in the nonprofit's um, lifespan. And they used, they rented out a gym for a month because to put together something, and that's only 26 feet compared to the blue whale. So you need a large space and a long time. And there's no place in Fort Bragg where we could do that. Um, we'd have to ask them to give it to us for probably a year. And so we need our own space where we can put that together and make sure it's safe from rodents and other things that could deteriorate the bones over time. Well, all those things, you know, of course, cost money to do. And uh, that's kind of your job for the uh, Noyo Center uh, is is to acquire that. You, you got a big grant recently, right? Can you tell us about that and what you're planning on using that for? Yeah, so the uh, U.S. Department of Commerce, we got an Economic Development Administration grant of about 825000 and it has a couple components to it. It's really going to help with further facilitating the development of the Ocean Science Center. Um, it's going to help us with uh, more on the environmental review for the project, developing a business plan, and moving those designs along. To, to get to that place where we really would start to be prepared at looking at, at a capital campaign um, down the road. So kind of filling out those steps. And with that, looking at how that Ocean Science Center and how the Noyo Center can work within the blue economy idea and fostering that in our region. So a lot of the grant is going towards that. It's not towards like current projects we're working on, but it's for all that future facing stuff we're doing. Can you expand on that a little bit? How how will all of this fit into that blue economy umbrella? Yeah, so, and we're actually, um, we have some great partners here in the community, uh, including West Development, uh, Mendocino College, and we've been kind of working on some conversations just recently about starting to really work on the scope of that. And right now we're at a point where I just was in a meeting yesterday and it's talking about, you know, figuring out where we are right now, what blue economy, what entrepreneurs are in the area, and what we need for infrastructure, what this community needs to really expand to that place. So the Noyo Center, you know, what can the Ocean Science Center provide? Can it provide uh, maker spaces? Can it be a place where entrepreneurs, you know, if we have um, access to seawater, different pieces, you know, to have that space, creating those STEM-based jobs um, and working a lot with Mendocino College about workforce development programs with them 
And so the 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 Noyo Center really wants to kind of be um, you know a leader in that field for this area, in a place that can kind of galvanize these different industries and look at a way of kind of creating a more resilient economy in a region that you know has struggled after you know the the shuttering of several extraction resource. Um, you know, fields that have closed down more over the last couple of decades. Yeah. Um, well, another aspect of all this is that the kelp forests are really one of the most important parts of that marine ecosystem along the California coast, and they've been struggling, to say the least. Uh, what are some of the things that the Noyo Center uh, is doing to, to help restore kelp? Yeah, so, you know, before I started, I know we partnered with some some different groups and did some purple urchin removal. So for those who might not be as familiar with um, purple urchin right now, we have what we call purple urchin barons out here because they just have overrun the, the near shore ecosystem um, because they can proliferate, but there's not much out there for them to eat. And when sometimes there is new kelp, they're quick to devour that because their natural predator, sunflower sea star, pretty much disappeared from this coast um, in the last decade, though now there's been some um, exciting um, sightings and some potential to kind of see if that's coming back. But so we worked with Purple Urchin, and that's really kind of one of our main focuses as we move forward is looking at how we can do restorative aquaculture in a way that works to help balance out that ecosystem. So right now those Purple Urchin, because there's not much to eat, they're starving, they're not, they're not highly, um, um, uh, see restaurants and fishermen it's not really worth it for them to get them for the most part but if we can look at bringing those in kind of ranching them growing them out to where they'd be more of a desire for for foodies and for restaurants then we could look at establishing a small fishery business around that that could work on doing it in a restorative way and also uh, the sunflower sea star we did uh, we partnered with the nature conservancy this year because um, there was evidence of some maybe juvenile sunflower sea stars in the spring so during low tides, once a month, we had teams up and down the coast go out and do tide pool searches. Um, and we're going to be doing that again here um, December 20th through 23rd for a solstice sea star event. So we're really looking at how these different um, species interact with one another, because you're right, the, the kelp, you'll see little patches and people be like, oh, it looks like it's coming back. And there's spots where it looks better, but it still pales in comparison to where it should be. Um, and we're, so we're trying to help speed up that process by looking at what we can do with the purple urchin and then hopefully getting evidence of sunflower sea stars making that comeback. Well, Michael Hicks, the development director for the Noyo Center for Marine Science, thanks for joining us to talk about the center and how it's going to fit into the blue economy there on the Mendocino coast of Fort Bragg. Oh, well, thank you, Dave. Thank you, Kate, so much for having us. Um, please, next time you're in Fort Bragg, come out to see us, uh, learn more about us. We, we're doing some exciting stuff here. Thanks again to our guests, journalist Frank Hartzell, Noyo Harbor Master Anna Newman, and Michael Hicks from the Noyo Center for Marine Science. And a very special thank you to my co-host for this episode from the Mendocino Voice, Kate Fishman. You can keep up with this special part of California at mendocinovoice.com. And be sure to check out all the cool goings on at the Noyo Center for Marine Science at noyocenter.org. 
Blue Dot is a production of North State Public Radio, a service of Cap Radio in beautiful and talented Northern California. If you missed or want to revisit an episode of Blue Dot, you can do just that on our website, mynspr.org. And while you're at it, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode on our website, the NPR One app, or wherever you get your podcast groove on. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at blue.nspr. The theme music is by Matt Schiltz. Blue Dot is engineered and produced by the maestro, Matt Fiddler. I'm Dave Schlow, and for all of us here, I remind you there that from deep space, we all live on a pale blue dot. Blue Dot.